Well, good morning, First Baptist Clarksville. It is so good for me to be with you today, and I bet you thought I'd say that. Have you ever met a Baptist preacher that just wasn't glad to be wherever he was? And isn't that especially true after the couple of years of experience that we've had recently? Now, when I say that, I'm reminded of one of my preaching heroes, Brother Junior Hill, great evangelist in the Southern Baptist Convention. And Brother Junior once said that he noticed every time he spoke in a church, he would stand up at the pulpit and that would just automatically come out of his mouth. I am so glad to be here with you today. And he thought, you know, I need to change that up a little bit and not be so predictable. And he learned that he really should do that one night when he went to preach in a prison. And he stood there in front of that congregation of inmates, and that was just the first thing he said. I'm glad to be with you tonight. And that was bad enough, but listen to what he said the second time. He said, I'm glad each of you are here with me tonight. (laughs) And then he placed himself in an untenable position when he said, I'm sure the world's a better place because we're all here together. (laughs) But I am absolutely thrilled to be here with you. I'm thrilled for our worship. Thank you, worship team and choir, for leading us to the very throne of God as we've expressed our hearts together to him in worship. And I'm thrilled to be here for my dear friend, Dr. Ronnie Raines. Don't you love your pastor? Amen. As Brother brother Ronnie said in that introduction, Ronnie and I have been friends for many years, worked together as co-pastors up in Kentucky, and then served together on the KBC staff. We logged many miles together, many meetings together, and I'm thrilled that he is here as your pastor. But I have to tell you, I'm thrilled to be here to talk to you about baptism. Now, Had I been Pastor Ronnie, I don't know that I would have invited a guest speaker in to finish this series, particularly with the topic of baptism, because that is one great topic, is it not? I mean, it's in our name. Your name as a congregation is First Baptist Church, and that that comes to you because of our tradition of understanding, we believe, what the Bible says in what Christ has commanded us to do, and that is to make disciples, as he said in the Great Commission, by going all over the world and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what a thrill it is for me to talk to you about this precious subject of baptism. When I think about baptism, it conjures up some wonderful memories. I think any pastor would tell you some of his great memories of being a preacher of the gospel and pastoring a flock of God are those memories that are made right up there in that baptistry or in an outside setting. You know, there are all kinds of things you can watch online. Probably some of you have watched these little boys being baptized. You know, mama's always right there with the video camera, and there's just something about a pool of water and an eight or nine year old boy. And you've probably seen the cannonball baptism, so 
Many of us pastors have had experiences like that. And then I remember my first baptism in my very first church. Now, I don't care who you are and what kind of experiences you've had prior to that first baptism. You could have studied it and even practiced it in Bible college and seminary. But when you get down into the pool to baptize that first person, there's just something unique and special about that. My first person to baptize was six foot eight and about 325 pounds. I promise you, they did not talk to us in seminary about baptizing a candidate that large. And so there we were in the baptistry, and you remember in those days, the choir sort of sat there in front of the baptistry through the message time and all of that. So I stepped down into the pool, and then here he comes. And the water level was at a normal height, but we didn't anticipate what the water level would do once he stepped down into the water with me. And I can promise you that we sure didn't anticipate what the water level would do when I went down with him. Let me just put it like this. If any member of our choir hadn't been baptized before that Sunday morning, I promise you they were baptized after that experience. And so those of us who have pastored and worked with people, we, we have those precious experiences of baptism. And I don't mean to make light of the event because it is profoundly spiritual. Those of you who have walked with the Lord, there are things about your personal discipleship that you remember distinctly. There are probably other things that you don't remember so well, but I promise you, you remember your baptism. You remember the person who baptized you. You remember a lot of the folks that were there to support you. Because that is the first step of discipleship. That is the event where you stepped out in front of an onlooking world and you were glad to raise your hand and say, I am very proudly a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you've asked for it. Let's talk about baptism. In doing so, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the second chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Open up your Bible, turn it on, however you access the Word of God, and be finding Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and then also verse 38. Now, as you're turning there, let me remind you of what's happening here. Of course, in Acts chapter 1, we read that the Lord Jesus met with his disciples at a place called Bethany. Luke identifies that for us in his gospel. And it would be there at Bethany, out on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, where the Lord Jesus would remind them that they had this mission of going into all the world and taking the gospel, and they were empowered to do it, right? He said, the Holy Spirit will give you power. And then right after that, the Lord Jesus Christ just begins to levitate off the ground and he rises up in the air and he goes back to sit down at the right hand of the Father. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, we find that the disciples continue to meet together in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled. And aren't we thankful, my friend, that as believers, we have the great filling of God's Holy Spirit. And so they're filled with the Spirit of God. Peter goes out into the crowded streets of, the, of Jerusalem, perhaps on the southern stairs of the temple. And right there in front of that thronging crowd of people, he preaches a great gospel message. They're cut to the heart. In other words, the Spirit of God convicts them. And I want you to see what Peter shares here in his message, not only about baptism, but about the steps that we take to follow the Lord Jesus. So let's pick up the story in Acts 2, beginning in verse 37. We'll read down through verse 38. Scripture says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the blessing of this wonderful first day of the week. Thank you, God, that we come together being born again baptized individuals as one body of praise and worship unto you. I pray, Father, that this morning as we think about the topic of baptism, that, Lord, you would open our ears. And, Father, more than that, would you be working in our hearts, Father, as we entertain this, your word. I pray, Father, that if there's one here today who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she would step out this very day owning Jesus as his or her personal Lord and Savior and then follow him in believer's baptism. Father, I pray that if there's a believer here today who has not followed you, they've trusted in Jesus but not followed you in baptism, I pray that this would be the day that they would make the clear decision to honor what Jesus has commanded us to do, and that is to follow him in this great spiritual event of baptism. I ask and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus, and amen. Well, God has used great evangelists in our history to do wonderful things. God has used certain men to preach these great sermons and these large-scale mass evangelism campaigns. And, and you know some of the names. One of the forerunners would have been Dwight Moody from Chicago. He would go out and, and he would preach and hundreds of people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In church history in America, we study names like Billy Sunday, who biographers would say hit the sawdust trail and they would erect these great tent tabernacles and put down sawdust and people would come and hear the gospel and and be saved we hear of Mordecai Ham and then ultimately 
a great man by the name of Billy Graham, whom God used in a strategic way to lead thousands to Christ. But did you notice as we've talked about it and read this passage from Acts chapter 2 that the first large-scale mass evangelism event was there in Jerusalem. It was on Pentecost in about 33 AD and the evangelist was none other than the apostle Peter. I love the great transformation that you see in the life of Peter because, you know, just days before this, even though Peter had promised Jesus that he would never leave him, that he would always be there for him, you remember when Jesus was arrested and he was going through the trial, the prediction of Jesus rang true when Peter denied him not once, not twice, but three times. And there in Jerusalem that evening, the rooster crowed. But something amazing happens to Peter. Number one, he sees the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And then days after that, as Jesus has promised, he was filled with God the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, when you meet the resurrected Jesus and God's promised Holy Spirit fills you up, it changes you. And so Peter is a changed man and he preaches this passionate message right before those who just days earlier had demanded the crucifixion of his Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so Peter, he preaches this message and the Bible here tells us that 3,000 people were saved. Don't you read these events in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, and you just wish you could get in some sort of time machine and go back and and just watch it unfold? This would be one of those events there on Pentecost in Jerusalem where Peter preaches and 3,000 people are saved. I would have loved to have seen that, and I would have loved to have been at that baptismal service. Can you imagine all those hundreds of people being baptized? But I want you to see that leading up to the point of decision, the people who heard Peter's sermon asked the apostles a crucially important question. They asked the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I want you to think about that. Peter has preached the gospel He's made it very, very clear that this Jesus was and is the Messiah sent by God. He's made it clear that Jesus did for humanity what humanity cannot do for itself in that he paid our sin debt upon a cross. And then they ask the question, what shall we do? Perhaps you're here this morning, you're asking the same question. You're thinking about Jesus. Maybe you've been convicted by the power of the gospel. Or perhaps you're here today and you've followed the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer, but you've not taken that first step of obedience, which is baptism. And maybe you're asking that same question. What shall we do? Well, Peter, in his response, recorded for us here in verse 38 of our text, 
He clears up any questions that we might have regarding salvation, baptism, and the great gift of God's Holy Spirit. He clearly, right here in this one succinct verse of Scripture, he talks about the steps that we as believers must take to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to trace these steps with me, and in tracing these steps, we will answer any question I think you might have about baptism. But I want you to notice that the first step in following Jesus is to repent of your sins. Notice that Peter, with crystal clear clarity and language, he says the first thing you do is you repent. Peter said to them, verse 38, repent. Now we'll get to the other part of his statement in just a moment, but let's start at the beginning. Peter says, repent. And in saying that, obviously, Peter is echoing what he had heard from his Savior, Jesus himself. Because, you know, Jesus said, recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I want you to understand this morning that to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that does not mean that you're the same person doing the best you can to live a better life. But it means that you have repented of your sins. In other words, you've traded your past for a new present and a very bright free future. You have repented. Maybe somebody's here today and you're asking the question, what is repentance? Well, the Greek term that's translated there for us as repent is the term metanoia. And here's what it means. It means a changing of the mind that changes your will and your actions and your reactions. So in other words, following Jesus doesn't mean that you just parrot back some prayer like rubbing a lucky rabbit's foot and voila, all of a sudden your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're a Christian. But Jesus says it's more than that. It's believing, but it's belief that leads you to repentance, and when you repent, things change. One great preacher used to put it like this. He says, when you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus, you know change. So when you know Jesus, you will see the change that's in your life. But if there's no Jesus, N-O, if there's no Jesus, there'll be no change. In Christ, again, we're not the same old bad people trying to live better lives, but praise be unto God, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And that begins at the point of repentance. I mentioned Billy Sunday in my introduction. Billy Sunday was a passionate preacher, and that's because he had had such a substantial change in his life. Billy Sunday, before he was a preacher, you might know that he was a professional athlete. In fact, he was a great baseball player. And even as a preacher, 
he had maintained a lot of his athleticism. And you can read his biography, and his biographer tells that Billy Sunday would preach on repentance, and then he would demonstrate it. They say that Sunday would preach on repentance, and this is how he would demonstrate it. He'd walk across the stage, and he would say, I want you to watch, I'm going this way. I'm walking this way. And then at a certain point, almost at the end of the stage, he would stop, and with his athleticism, he would jump up way in the air, and while he was in the air, he was somehow able to twist his body and turn around and land heading the other direction. I thought I would show you that this morning. But I don't want Pastor Ronnie to come back and have to follow that, all right? But that's what Billy Sunday would do. He, he would say, I'm heading this direction. This is what repentance is. Jump up in the air, twist his body around, land on the stage. And he would say this. Now watch this. I am now going in another direction. Aren't you thankful that when Jesus Christ came into your heart and life, when you repented of your sins, when you placed believing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God totally and radically changed you. That happens at the moment of repentance. You're going one way. God the Holy Spirit stops you in your tracks. You say, I'm going the wrong way. You turn around through repentance and you go back the other way. And so when those in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago, here's Peter's message. They ask, what shall we do? And the first thing that Peter says, you must repent. So the first step is repentance. And then the second step, which gets us into the thought of baptism, is that Peter says, demonstrate your repentance through baptism. So you've repented. There's been an inward change. Again, old things have passed away. All things are now new. But it's time for you to take that first step of obedience. It's time for you to be baptized. I want you to understand that baptism always follows repentance and belief. In other words, you you repent of your sins, you place your believing faith in the Lord Jesus, and then you follow him in baptism. I want you to hear me clearly. We are not baptized to be saved, but we're baptized because we are saved. Baptism has never changed in and of itself any person. Baptism has never saved in itself any person. Let me remind you this morning, God saves us. We are saved, as Paul would write to the church of Ephesus, by God's grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us should boast. So we're saved by faith through God's grace. It's not that baptism saves us. So many people misunderstand this verse. And perhaps you're here this morning and 
you misunderstand this verse. Maybe you think that it teaches what we would call theologically baptismal regeneration. In other words, the act of baptism, going down in the water, coming back up, is the salvific event in your life that changes you and saves you. But I would say to you again, baptism all through the pages of the New Testament always follows belief. Don't forget the context. Remember, we're seeing these two verses that Peter shares in response to a larger sermon that he's preached. And I want you to look back up in that larger sermon. Look at verse 21 of the text. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Same thing Paul writes in Romans 10, 13. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I don't want you to miss this. Look at the context. Peter has preached the gospel message. The people are asking, what shall we do with this? What do we do with this message? How do we respond? Peter says, repent. That's number one. But number two, be baptized. And in his message, he told them very clearly, it's the Lord and his saving grace that saves you. It's not baptism, but it's the work of God. So the word for here in our verse really should be understood like this. It means because of. A few moments from now, I'm going to join some of your staff and Miss Angie, and we're going to go out to lunch, and, and we're going to eat for I'm hungry. Now, how else could I say that? I could say it like this. We're going to eat lunch because of the fact that I'm hungry. And that's what Peter is saying here. Repent, and because you have repented, because the Lord Jesus has saved you, be baptized. In other words, we are baptized because of our repentance and the forgiveness of our sins. So what is it? What is biblical baptism? How many of you know Greek? Well, there might be a hand or two up if you've studied it in seminary or in other places. But I want to tell you this morning, if you're just even a casual New Testament reader, you know a little Greek. Because this morning when we read the text, and we read that Peter said, repent and be baptized... Actually, that word baptize is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizmo. You see, when the early translators that were translating the New Testament Greek into the English language, when they got to this word, they understood that the church had already established at that time a practice of pouring or sprinkling, and so really, instead of translating the word, they transliterated it. And so we have the word baptism. Now, as Southern Baptists, as Baptists in general, we know what that means. 
When I say baptize, you conjure up the image in your head of someone who has followed Jesus going into a pool or into a lake or a river or even the ocean, and you see that person being immersed in water, and that's exactly what it is because the Greek term baptizo literally means that. It means to be immersed. It means to be plunged. In other words, if you were to go back to a Greek-speaking community and two little boys were playing down at the creek and the other one was intent on dunking his friend, that's what he would say to him, I'm going to baptizo you. In other words, I'm going to put you under the water. And so as Baptists, we understand that that's what it means to experience biblical baptism. Full immersion in a pool of water. My good friend, Dr. Adam Greenway, that's president of Southwestern Seminary, he wrote a little article a couple years ago, and he used three M's. He talked about the mode, the member, and then the meaning. So there's a proper mode of baptism, and that's immersion in a body of water. And I want you to think about the fact that we have taken great measures to practice full immersion baptism. As a matter of fact, even in the Gospels, you read of people traveling out to the Jordan to be baptized by John because that's where the water source was. And that would be places where they could find pools large enough to experience baptism. In our churches, again, we've gone to great measures to have tanks and pools like this to baptize people. When I say that, I'm reminded of a few churches over in the deep mountains of East Kentucky. I've been in a few of them. They're old little sanctuaries, and they actually have their baptismal pool right under the pulpit. Now, I want you to think about that. There's their baptismal pool, and they cover up the pool with wood and place carpet over it and that's where the pulpit sits but when it's time to baptize someone they move all of that out of the way fill it with water and they have their baptismal service in perry county kentucky they tell the story uh, of a church there that had one of those structures and what they would do is they would wire up curtains to make sort of makeshift drying and dressing rooms after people were baptized They tell the story of a great big baptismal service that happened in the church one Sunday afternoon and a few people were baptized and this older gentleman was baptized and the pastor brought him out of the tank and he was in one of those makeshift curtain dressing rooms drying himself off and that kind of thing while they baptized a lady. And when the pastor placed the lady down, she flailed her arms And she reached for whatever she could get a hold of, and she got a hold of the curtain. And and there he stood. And I'll let you use your sanctified imagination and fill in the blanks. They said all he could do was throw his hands in the air and say, Oh, my Lord, and he jumped down in the tank to hide himself. not trying to be irreverent about baptism. I'm just telling you this. We've gone to great measures to provide places where people can be fully immersed 
because that's the mode of baptism, full immersion in water. And then Greenway talked about the proper member and the member to be baptized is a believer. In other words, someone who has placed his or her faith already in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're experiencing a believer's baptism. And then he talks about the proper meaning. And the meaning is a symbolic ordinance. It's an ordinance of our church. As Baptists, we believe in two ordinances. Those being number one, baptism, and then number two, the Lord's Supper. But the ordinance of baptism, we believe that it's symbolic in its meaning. As a matter of fact, the second sentence of Article 7 of our Baptist faith and message simply says this. It's an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. So when you see someone baptized, that's their testimony. I'm not who I used to be. With Christ, I have died to myself. And you see that picture being lowered into the water grave of baptism and then being raised up. And that person is saying, I now walk in newness of life because of what Jesus has done. It's a symbol. I'm wearing perhaps my favorite symbol, and that's my wedding ring. I've worn it for 23 years now. Amy gave it to me as we stood on the platform of the Central Baptist Church in Warner Robins, Georgia, all those years ago, and I've worn it very proudly since. But I want you to know I can take this ring off my finger, and in taking that off, it does not mean that I'm unmarried, right? I mean, I can set that ring down, and I'm still... Amy Dodson's husband and she's still my precious bride whether I have it on or not because the reality is standing there on that platform of that church we made a covenant with one another and a covenant with the Lord that we had always until death would part us walk together through life but what do you think Miss Amy would have done if we had stood there that day and she offered me this ring And I would have said something like this, Amy, I love you and I want to be your husband, but I don't want anybody to know about it. You don't know my wife. But let me tell you, my sweet little Georgia peach would have looked me in the eye and said, Buster, you can go right back out there in your little blue car and carry yourself back to Kentucky. No, I wear it. And I wear it proudly because I'm not ashamed to let anybody know that Amy Elizabeth Wilson became Amy Elizabeth Dodson all those years ago. It's a symbol. And my friend, likewise, can I tell you this morning 
that I'm not ashamed to let the whole world know that I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me when I was lost. He came in and he took my sins away. And he has prepared a wonderful place for me. And even more than that, he has given me a great, wonderful life to live. I belong to Jesus. And I was not ashamed as a 10-year-old boy to go down into that water grave of baptism to show the world that I have died to my sin and I have been raised in a newness of life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Step one, repent of your sins. Step two, demonstrate that repentance through baptism. And then watch this one as we close very quickly. Step three, enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Lord saves you, he gives you a beautiful birth gift. We've been born again. And with that new birth, according to what Peter says here in verse 38... When we repent and we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8 verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, if you're saved you have the abiding presence of God's Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. And aren't you thankful you do? You see, being saved doesn't mean you have to wait on some secondary or tertiary work of God's grace. The moment he saves you, he indwells you with his precious Holy Spirit. While baptism is the outward expression of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the inward reality that you've truly repented of your sins and trusted the Lord Jesus for salvation. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who saves us and changes us when by believing in Christ, we repent of our sins, we demonstrate to the world that we're new people by being baptized and he's given us that great indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. Now I want to ask you a question and I want you to listen closely. Have you been biblically baptized? And again, you might ask, well, Brother Allen, what does that mean? It means that as a believer, having repented of your sins having trusted Jesus for your soul salvation, as a believer, you had a full water immersion baptism symbolizing the walk that you have right now with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized, I'm going to ask you today to come. To come publicly, to come unashamedly, telling the church, telling the world that you're a follower of Jesus. There will be a counselor here that will instruct you about how you can be baptized and you can become a member of this great church, First Baptist Clarksville, by following the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. You may be asking, why is it necessary? My question to you would be this. 
if you followed the Lord Jesus, why would you not do what he's asked you to do? James says in James 2.18, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, I'll be obedient. I'll do the works that Jesus has asked me to do because I have placed my faith in him. See, when you show the world through baptism that you're a follower of Jesus, you're telling everybody that great and wonderful testimony that you belong to him. And you know what he does for us? Matthew 10, 32, whoever confesses me before men, him, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Today, do you need to come? Do you need to come and be saved? Repent of your sins, just as Peter said. Believe in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Place your life in his hands totally trusting in the grace of God, nothing else, and then following him in believer's baptism while you're enjoying the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning, bow your heads. I want to pray for you, and after I pray, we're going to sing together a hymn of invitation. There will be staff members here in the front that will greet you if you need to come. need to come saying, yes, I want to be baptized. I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be an obedient disciple. Do you need to come to do that? Do you need to come and trust Jesus to be saved today? Would you come? Let God have his way in your life. Lord, thank you for our moments together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what Jesus has done. God, he's done for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Lord, we say thank you. Lord, I pray right now for someone who may be convicted. Maybe there's someone right now who, like those who heard Peter's message at Pentecost, maybe they're cut to the quick, and God the Holy Spirit is drawing them to a place of belief today. I pray that person would come. Lord, if there are those who need to come and just say, yes, I'll be obedient to baptism, I pray they would come. In Jesus' name, amen. As the staff is here, if you need to come, would you come as we sing together?